Hi, good morning. Welcome to the Bitcoin Morning Brief. I'm Leah Wald hosting for today with Jimmy Song again and Tone Vase. Tone, pretty background. Thank you. Yes, I am in Florida. Uh, so this is great. I'm uh, nice and sunny here, a little bit better than Toronto. That's why I'm uh, actually enjoying the outdoors. But um, oh, just a quick note, uh, very unfortunate incident took place in Toronto. Uh, lots of people died, uh, some crazy in a van. Uh, and it happened literally the moment I got onto my airplane. So everyone is texting me and I'm not replying for like four hours uh, as I'm flying out of Toronto. Uh, so, so sorry to hear what happened there. Jimmy, lighter note, how's it going in Texas? Uh, it's, uh, it's going great. Um, you know, I'm back. You know, I, I, I always try to rest a little bit after I come back from these things. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm getting ready, working on my book, doing all the things that I need to do. Awesome. And, and pumping out more Medium articles. I love it. All, do you have any upcoming seminars? Uh, I do. I have three coming up. I have the one in New York uh, right after Consensus. Then I have another one in Toronto, late May, it looks like. Um, and then I have another one in Denver in um, early July. So, you know, those are the next three. And, uh, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll be posting all of them later today. Fantastic. Well, everybody should come to Consensus and see the three of us and Jimmy speak. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving to Ethereum. So Ethereum devs publish upgrade proposal to move network away from mining related issues. Bitcoin rival. Uh, wait, sorry. <laughs> that was the next one. Mining issues. So Jimmy, this is really interesting to me, but I admit I don't fully understand the inner workings of what this thing is talking about, especially regarding the Ethereum improvement proposal EIP number 1011, implementing hybrid Casper, the friendly finality gadget, FFG network update, which will, I guess, combine proof of work and proof of stake consensus. So Jimmy, what the hell does this mean? Well, so they've been wanting to move towards proof of stake for a while. Um, they they seem to believe that there's something interesting in proof of stake. I don't I don't really know why. Um, but yeah, this is sort of like a bone to throw to the miners as a way to say, okay, we're going to transition out of it slowly, and that that's what this seems like to me. They're they're trying to. Um, move towards proof of stake, but do it in kind of a slightly sneaky way as to uh, get the miners to comply. If they, if they go with some sort of hybrid, then what happens is that they're, um, they're sort of locked into the hard, uh, like the, the schedule uh, of doing all of this. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure. I, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how the miners react because obviously they'll get uh, more uh, if, if they just sort of refuse this hard fork. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's, uh, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting way to uh, get the miners to comply. That's all I'll say. Tone, it says at the bottom, quote, this is not Bitcoin. Miners are not in control. If they get evil, we'll just speed up Casper's development. That's a quote by Vitalik. Right. So, yeah. so Vitalik is being even more aggressive towards his miners than what happened in Bitcoin. Uh, so Casper, the unfriendly ghost is coming. And um, let's, see, let, 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 let's see what happens next. They are reducing the mining reward from three Ethereum per block, which I didn't even know how many Ethereum they were given per block. 
And I believe their blocks are either every eight seconds or every 12 seconds. Uh, I forget which one it is, but it, it's going from three Ethereum per block to 0.6 Ethereum per block. I wouldn't exactly call that a slow, uh, you know, a slow transition to proof of stake. It's a like an 80% transition to proof of stake. And um, I don't understand uh, like why, I mean, I understand why they're going to proof of stake. Uh, I, I mean, obviously you want to print all the money that you can for yourself, right? I mean, that's what proof of stake is. Uh, proof of stake is not innovative in any way, shape or form. Uh, proof of stake is basically earning money by having money. Uh, this is exactly what the Bitcoin ecosystem tried to prevent in two forms, right? One, by removing uh, inflation, a percentage style inflation, like a 2% inflation forever, making, you know, the rich with money richer by, you know, like by not diluting them. Um, and by making sure that Bitcoin remains proof of work, uh, these are the things that you want to do to prevent the rich from getting richer. Uh, proof of stake is the complete opposite of that. Uh, proof of stake is basically a way for the rich people that already have Ethereum uh, going in Ethereum. Uh, this is all complete micromanagement of your economy. Uh, just take the scam of Steemit, for example, where they mined for 30 days before anyone knew Steemit existed uh, back in March of some year, I forget. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, by April or by May, uh, all mining was over. And then in June, they launched a platform. Uh, and in July, they informed the world there was such a thing as Steemit. And by then, the rich that mined they weren't rich at the time, but they were rich in terms of uh, the Steemit scam token. Uh, they were rich in terms of the amount of the Steemit scam token they had. And now they're earning proof of stake, earning more of that money uh, just by proof of uh, just by uh, staking it, right? Um, so proof of stake is complete nonsense, and um, I can't wait for Ethereum to go to that. And uh, the sooner this nightmare implodes as a, as a technology, the, the better off the world is going to be. <laughs> Jimmy, the Ethereum devs, it's, a, it's stated clearly that the ultimate goal of the upgrade, as we've mentioned, is to move from uh, proof of work to proof of stake. Do you think that this is a good rollout? I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to say. I, I will say, though, that uh, Vitalik says the miners aren't in charge. The implication there is we are. Like, him and his cronies are the ones in charge of uh, Ethereum. And that's very true. So, uh, in a sense, like, uh, you know, the proof of work actually doesn't secure them on that coin because they don't actually, like, get anything out of the proof of work because they're going to change it to whatever they want anyway. So um, like, I, I don't think he realizes the implications of what he's saying. Uh, the miners are not in charge. We don't have any objective standard to uh, add any entries into Ethereum. It's just whatever I want it to be. Um, it's sort of, uh, you know, he, he thinks of himself, I think kind of as a technocrat and, uh, and that's fine. Uh, that's, that's the coin that you want to do. That's the coin that you're going to, you're going to do. Um, but you know, I just, uh, I, I've been saying this for a while now, like just wait until the Ethereum foundation runs out of money. Let's see what happens then. Cause they won't have the money to like, uh, 
you know, like do marketing and all this other stuff that they, they, they've been doing in order to well, well, pump well, up well, Ethereum. Wait, 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 Jimmy, by going to proof of stake, they're never going to run out of money, right? Because they are going to stake a bunch of Ethereum that they already had and they will perpetually make more Ethereum. Um, not well, so if they're disciplined with it, yes. Uh, but this is what happens with any central government that can print money. Uh, there's a temptation just to spend, spend beyond your means all the time. And, uh, I don't know what they'll use it for. Maybe they'll just like give out like a hundred million to some poor country or something like that. I don't know. They're, they're going to do something. Uh, and they'll they'll benefit some cronies, or there, there's going to be a lot of lot of um, well, they can always they sucklers can always, at the teat, if you but, will. But, so. they can, but they can also always reverse the, the the history and give themselves more money, right? I mean, it's uh, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't well, really worry about the Ethereum Foundation running out of Ethereum. Uh, well, so my my so point is that so, so that that's the point that I want to make is that at at a certain point they're going to want to print more money, and that's that's when it's going to get interesting. Because the minute that they do, and they do it for their own purposes, it's it's going to be like, oh crap! Okay, well, like, this yeah, really it, is the same as a central. It, it, it is. It is. It's really amazing how everyone says that I, uh, if only I had the ability to print money, I will do good with it. And my mm -hmm. answer to them is, if you had the ability to print your own money, you will within five to 10 years, you will be worse than the country of Zimbabwe. <laughs> the people, you know, running the Zimbabwe Central Bank have PhDs in, you know, economics and monetary policy, and you don't. So anyone that thinks they can just have their own printing press, and they're going to be better than the Bank of Zimbabwe. I mean, these people are just grossly like incompetent, even in their own thinking that they can do a better job. Yeah. Um, okay, so one final note before we move on. Uh, Jimmy, can you just, uh, you, you did a great job at uh, the University of Austin, Texas, explaining why uh, to this uh, IBM guy, why proof of time or proof of stake or proof of importance or, uh, you know, proof of planting trees or anything else <laughs> other than proof of work makes absolutely no sense because your reward is X and your incentive is X minus one dollar. Can you just mm -hmm. like go through that one more time? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically proof of work is an objective standard and you have to think adversarially when you're thinking about any sort of blockchain. Um, and if you if you have uh, an objective standard, then, you know, you, you know who won in an adversarial environment um, and anything else, you're going to spend as much as you need in order to, you know, win the reward. And that, that's what we mean by sort of adversarial thinking. Um, and everything else ends up more or less becoming sort of this uh, proof. Uh, you're, you're still going to do work in order to get into, you know, create a block or whatever. It's just not going to be evident or actually secure your blockchain. It's, it's going to be, you know, basically hidden from everybody else what it is that you did to get that block reward. Uh, so... You know, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I was talking to somebody about this uh, in San Francisco, and I, I likened sort of like trying to get around the energy consumption of proof of work as trying to cheat the laws of the universe. If you want some sort of objective standard, and that's why we're all in Bitcoin, right? So that there's no, uh, no subjectivity, there's no, no, um, no uh, third party that gets to control anything or have a vote in, in, in the transactions that you're doing and things like that. Um, 
as soon as you remove that objectivity and go towards subjectivity, uh, you know, like you, you lose all of that. And that's more or less what all of these other things do. Like they're trying to cheat the laws of the universe. So it just, it doesn't work because you're, you're still going to spend this just as much. And, but instead of Bitcoin, where you're actually securing the blockchain uh, with all of these other things, you're not doing any security at all. Tone, as a follow, as a final follow-up, given that, we had a lot of fun on April Fool's Day. Do you think that uh, Vitalik's meta joke had anything to do with him testing the markets and, and the waters of, um, you know, different rollout strategies? What's going at, on? At, at, every, at this point, um, everything Vitalik says publicly is testing the markets. He is no different than Janet Yellen or <laughs> Bernanke before her. And um, who was there before Bernanke? Was it? Greenspan. Me? Greenspan, it was Greenspan, right? Because Greenspan was there for like, like, like most people's lifetimes. Um, but um, so everything Vitalik says publicly will always be testing the market. He's no different than Janet Yellen. Uh, and based on the reaction to that market, he will then either say, I was just something, it was, I, I was just either mentally masturbating uh, on that thought, or uh, yes, this is something we should do. Uh, that would be the end result. That's now his job. He is the Janet Yellen of Ethereum's monetary policy. All right, absolutely. I do really like that analogy, given that the Fed absolutely overextended um, in an interesting way their control past the powers given at B, given that they uh, are appointed, not elected, and under Greenspan. Um, and with that said, oh, oh sorry, for, for, more, for more on Ethereum, uh, please check out Kevin Pham's. Twitter account. Um, he is probably the leading reporter on anything and everything with Ethereum. I need to reach out to him. I like next time I'm home for an extended amount of time, I'm going to do a bunch of on the records with people that I like uh, and some with people that I don't like. You'll see the difference in how those interviews go. And uh, yeah, so please, for more on anything and anything Ethereum, uh, please check out uh, Kevin Pham's uh, Twitter account. Um, I don't know if you want to Google for that right now and show the screen, or maybe I'll do it when I get control of it later. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And on that, right, just to, to finish up, and now the Fed, whenever an announcement comes up, you do, regarding the fundamentals and that policy, have implications in the stock market, obviously. So, this should also happen with Ether and with this centralization, though, I can only hope that the SEC will then truly understand the centralization and make it a security um, and have the regulators start cracking down. Let me uh, pull up the Twitter that you just mentioned really quickly and then let's move on. Perfect. Yeah. Tom, did you want to talk about this? Uh, no, I'm just saying um, I recommend following this guy. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Uh, so Bcash, Bitcoin cash profit burning by ant full triggers price pump tones B trash. So, right, Bitcoin cash's prices surge. We're going to have a little fun with it in a second with gains over 32% since Monday opening. And some people believe, obviously, that this is due to price manipulation boosted by ant pool burning some of the pre uh, profits. It says here that $12 worth of Bitcoin cash each day, but I believe that the reporters mean 12%. Yeah, I, I, la I laughed so hard when I read that. 
<laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, it was not a very good written article. There was another gross, like, similar hilarious mistake later on as well. Um, yep. This should have been, like, somebody else should have edited this. That's, that's what editors are supposed to be for. Um, everyone, so again, just for me, everyone knew what was going on, right? Like, we've talked about this, that they've been working with Ampool to boost the price by cutting profits. To me, this whole story is that there is indeed collusion going on between Bcash and the Ampool. Everyone's known this since day one, which is how Bcash is pumped before they dump Bitcoin, they buy Bcash, they have groups of people who do it for them. But here's the most recent, and it's been working in terms of price. So tone. What do you think the price is telling us? Is it going anywhere? Uh, one second. I got to ban someone from my live chat. Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I got it. I got it. I got it. Hold on. I'm not on mute, right? Um, damn, I wish there was like a ban button. YouTube. Um, anyway. Uh, okay. So let's, um, uh, let's talk about this. So um, this is actually absolutely perfect uh, because... Um, we all know what happens to trash. It goes to a landfill and it gets burned, right? So this is perfectly fitting that um, the people in charge of Bcash uh, believe in it so much that they are actually taking it to a landfill and burning it, right? Um, I always felt that any initiative that burns Bitcoin is one of the dumbest things you can possibly do, which is why I thought um, counterparty was stupid because counterparty burned Bitcoin, right? I thought that was a very dumb initiative. I always did. Um, so here, um, I mean, Bitmain obviously loves Bitcoin uh, B-Trash so much that they're actually burning it and destroying it. Um, again, I, I don't know what these people are thinking or even if they are thinking. Um, pumps like this uh, make doesn't help your... Uh, I mean, they're talking about B-Trash as being a better value transfer and a better currency. You do not have a better currency if it has a higher volatility. Um, no currency is going to be better if it has a higher volatility up and down. Uh, this current pump of B-Trash is going to go back down like it always has. Uh, we've seen it go, it opened up at like 10%, went as high as 15% fell all the way to five, then went to like 30%, then fell back under 10%. Now it's back to 17% uh, of Bitcoin. This is way too volatile for any normal person to ever use as a currency. And people complain about Bitcoin's volatility. This is Bitcoin's volatility times a thousand. It makes no sense, okay? Um, now, if they want to try and... Uh, th th these guys, like everybody else, um, in any other uh, scam coin are gonna try and cheat, manipulate uh, their way to get rich off of a currency they usually print, but in the case of Btrash, they're not actually printing it. It's a little more legit than some of the other initiatives uh, like tech from a technological perspective, but uh, because it's just a clone of Bitcoin. So, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's, um, it's the Ethereum situation, right? You have one to three people at the top that are completely in charge. Like even if your underlying protocol is debatably decentralized, like in the case of Ethereum, uh, and I say debatably decentralized because Jimmy will argue that with me, that it, Ethereum is grossly not decentralized, but the technology is supposed to be decentralized. Um, all right, I'm not, 
sorry, I'm getting like a weird message, but uh, um, uh, like you still have people in charge of the decentralization, right? Like this is the problem with most decentralized initiatives like a decentralized exchange, for example. Um, if you are responsible for the decentralized exchange, you are responsible for the decentralized exchange, right? You have a head of a decentralized entity uh, like a Vitalik Buterin. And in this case, you have uh, a, uh, like a three-headed weird monster, um, the head of Btrash, which is the combination of Roger Veer, Jihan Wu, and Craig Wright. Um, so fake Satoshi, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, internet. I shouldn't have said that. Um, Roger Veer, scratch that. Roger Veer, Jihan Wu, and fake Satoshi, right? These are your three people in charge are on what they claim is a decentralized initiative. So it's not decentralized if you can point to three people that are in complete charge of your initiative. So it's not actually decentralized. So I'll leave it on that and I'll hand it off to Jimmy. Right, yeah. Jimmy, do you want to respond to this comment about your view being different on the decentralization of Ethereum stack? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's centralized. I think, uh, you know, Vitalik acts exactly like a government. He, uh, he does bailouts, he uh, imposes taxes, he sets monetary policy. These are all things that a government does. He's the government. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I, I think it's beyond dispute that he's the centralizing force there. Um, uh, but as far as this story goes, um, you know, Bitcoin Cash has been pumping recently. So, uh, you know, like they're, they're burning it. I, I could see uh, arguments as to doing this. Uh, I, I think the demand has been a little bit low. And I think that's, per, this is perhaps a way to do it. But the other reason why Bitcoin Cash is pumping is because they announced their hard fork and all of the sort of quote unquote features that they're adding in the next hard fork, um, including enabling all of these opcodes and um, I think uh, they're going to like 32 megabyte blocks max and things like that. Um, that's, I think, got some of the Bitcoin Cash people excited because, you know, they're all about big blocks. So it's, it's going from eight to 32. So they're very happy about that. Uh, but like Tone was saying, I don't think, uh, uh, you know, like when you're using something as a store of value, you don't really care that much about price fluctuations as long as, you know, over the long term, it does well. Uh, with medium of exchange, um, what what happens is you 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 need it to be more steady, especially like as a merchant that's taking it, or or, or even like a you know private party that's taking it, because you know you you sell a you know camera for however many Bitcoin cash. Um, you want to make sure that that, you know, you're, you're probably going to be transferring that to a better store of value anyway. So as soon as you do that, um, you know, if you're going to spend it, you, you want that to be kind of steady. And the volatility actually matters quite a bit for, for those kinds of purposes. And uh, Tone's right, like the, the volatility doesn't make any, uh, like it, it actually hurts Bitcoin Cash quite a bit. And there's actually some uh, theoretical, um, you know, uh, arguments to be made about why you actually want the price to be relatively low and steady, uh, not even high and steady uh, for just like a straight medium of exchange coin, which I think this is what it's trying to do. And, uh, and this, this is why, you know, if you've studied Austrian economics and know about the regression theorem, you know, that store of value has to come first, not the other way around. 
Absolutely. Tone, if you do you have any comment on this before moving on? Uh, no, I mean, I think that's it. I was, uh, I mean, maybe when we talk about price, um, Jimmy wanted to uh, cash out some of his uh, B trash yesterday, and I kind of <laughs> helped him out on where to set the stop loss in order to time the sell. So maybe we'll talk about that when I get to the charts or remind us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, tone, tone's amazing. Uh, and like so many people are like, do you really believe the technical analysis? I'm like, Tone's like right so often. Like you can't ignore that level of like prescience. Uh, so yeah, it worked. Awesome. And just my last takeaway on this that just had me insane this morning is just, I can't believe that this isn't illegal, right? I mean, it's it's not illegal right now, but it will be so illegal as soon as the SEC says that this is a security. Honestly, when, you know, just thinking about this story, I was like, I, I this, this doesn't fly on the market. So, um, you know, to be determined regarding more illegal action. So this is something that we will continue following. I know that a lot of people uh, are interested in what's going on in India. So this story, India's central bank has been taken to court over its cryptocurrency crackdown. So the company who filed this petition is in Ahmedabad, where I spend a lot of time working as an economic development consultant. So that's one thing that excited me about it. But right, so on April 22nd, the Delhi High Court issued a notice to the Reserve Bank of India, RBI, after a petition challenged the banking regulators uh, April 6th order, which we spoke about barring lenders from doing business with cryptocurrency exchanges. So the petition was filed by a company called Kali Digital Ecosystems, which had plans to launch its own cryptocurrency exchange in August. Jimmy, I see this simply as a pushback and that everybody is going to sue everybody for everything. Yeah, that's kind of what happens when government gets involved, right? When you have a centralized uh, party that's trying to control things, other people are not going to like it. So I, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. India is kind of messed up politically in many ways. So not surprised that this is happening like one one group wants to ban it another group thinks it's like economic freedom um it, things move a little bit uh more interestingly in india i mean this happens everywhere right but uh in india it seems to um i don't know cause riots or something because they they have so many people i don't know um well well i mean it, it's worth keeping an eye on but uh you know this is just how you know governments kind of tend to work. Tone, do you think anything will come from this? Um, uh, maybe. Uh, and just my quick comment on this. So they didn't like stop it cold turkey. They're giving all of these companies till like June or July uh, to comply with not working with like the banking system. Um, so, be, uh, so we really have to get back to the story around the date because there'll be a lot of these initiatives. There'll be a lot of government hearings, you know, a lot of there's a lot of people with Bitcoin in India that have money. They can pay the lawyers. They can get their governments on their side. I mean, this is what I worry about when it comes to Ethereum and other scam coins, right? You convince your local politician, you hand them a bunch of Ethereum that now made the politician earn, uh, you know, be richer than any of his insider trading has ever done before, and now he's motivated to make Ethereum legal, right? Um, so. Uh, so, so you, you, there's so much time. I mean, it's Bitcoin. Like between now and June, when this law is supposed to come to effect, 
we can have like we can go with the story back and forth. So it's just another development, but we have to revisit it back in June. Absolutely. And just as a recap for everybody, right, the when the RBA, well, RBI issued this, they also said that they're very pro blockchain and that they also were going to launch their own cryptocurrency. Right. And just as a final note, there obviously are very wealthy players in India, huge companies like Tata. So it, it'll be interesting to follow the story and we will. Right. And uh, well, sorry, sorry, one last comment. So basically, as they say, like they don't like Bitcoin, but they like blockchain, right? And that's their view right now. You know, you put Andreas Antonopoulos in the room with them. You put a Jimmy Song in the room with them, right? You put someone that actually knows what they're talking about in a room with them. And the government it can blow their mind to where, you know, next in three weeks, they can have the complete opposite view on everything that they think they know. So they're like, so, so I think it's way too early to know what's going to happen in India. Okay, yes. So moving on to Kraken, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> so Kraken CEO said pretty much that he's not planning to respond to the New York AG's newly unveiled inquiry into the ecosystem. And so just to note, Kraken was one of 13 exchanges that received this letter and they were supposed to respond, I believe, within two weeks or three weeks, but two weeks, I believe. And he's pretty, pretty intense in his uh, and testy in his position. Jimmy, what did you think of this? Oh, Jimmy, you're on mute. I, I, I thought it was, uh, it, it was the appropriate response to sort of intrusive government uh, agencies that aren't really under, uh, you know, like, uh, they're, they're like sort of uh, under the direction of the executive branch, but they, they tend to think that they have more power than they do. Uh, you know, a lot of these agencies, FDA, FAA, or whatever, um, and especially in New York with like the attorney general's office and stuff like that, they're not really uh, accountable to the voters. And, and what happens is that they, they sort of like overreach with their power. And, uh, and you can see that in, in the United States, at least the ones, the agencies with the most power are the ones that are not accountable to government. And this is, this is definitely one of those cases. Uh, New York tends to be really overregulated already. Um, but the, 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 the sort of level of stuff that they're asking for, like in, in a matter of two weeks, it's, it's just so ridiculous. Like any business uh, that, that, that's trying to comply would have a very difficult time doing all of these things in two weeks. It's, uh, it's I mean, like, I, I don't know what they're, it, it, it sounds like some sort of fishing expedition to, you know, get like uh, convict somebody so they can get like a scalp and, uh, you know, this is how attorney generals generally, um, you know, make a name for themselves anyway, is by like convicting somebody that a lot of people think is evil. Um, I think that, you know, I, they're going to get some pushback eventually, but the, path to voter uh, accountability is is very obscure and uh, indirect. So it tends to take a longer amount of time. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't like the uh, like how government tends to do things like this. Um, you know, this is part partly why I'm libertarian is that there are all these like un, unaccountable like fer federal and state agencies that that you know voters can't really shut down right like you can't really shut down the fbi or the nsa at this point because you know they they're just sort of like they've existed for long enough that 
you know, the government will keep them going no matter who's in office. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, attorney generals have way too much power, especially with grand juries and things like that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like it. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't think anybody else, uh, that that's really into Bitcoin really does either. Right. Tone Powell claimed in this, that what crypto traders really care about among other things is how tokens are cho chosen to be listed on an exchange, how often exchanges experience technical glitches. We've seen a lot that interrupts the trading and making sure their coins aren't hacked. I, I mean, I, I think it's, I, I liked his response and then. You know, the, what was your take on this? Uh, I mean, it was great. I don't really have anything to add to this. Uh, I mean, go go read it. Go read Jesse Powell. I'm assuming that's who wrote it. Um, I really like that statement. Um, our reply to the New York Attorney General is similar what it would be to the North Korean Attorney General. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was probably like the best um, the, the the best line there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, open up a real report with, with these exchanges. I mean, Kraken's been around a while. Yeah, that's very true. And then just, you know, it's it's absolutely, you know, bringing back up this grudge that I think we've had against the bit license and the regulators. So I, it'll be interesting to follow in, in what the AG says back. But I did really like his response and correct on the on the AG of North Korea. He was definitely snarky. So CBOE. Interesting, it's not capitalized. Um, exchange wants to lower its Bitcoin futures prices. I think this is perhaps the most stupid and misleading title in the history of journalism, as it sounds like CBOE is trying to lower the price of Bitcoin. It's going to start by saying that. So what is happening? CBOE Future Exchange Managing Director McFarland announced a proposed rule amendment that would lower the minimum increment on its futures contracts from 10 points. Right which is worth $10 to five points, which is worth $5 sometime on or after May 1st. Tone, this has nothing to do with the price of Bitcoin. This has yeah. to do with the increments of the trading yeah. prices. And all they're doing is lowering the incremental ticks between trades, which does make for more liquid and smoother trading. What do you think? Um, I mean, this is another one of those tone I told you so. Like CME is, are the experts at futures. CBOE are the experts at options. Uh, CBOE should stick to what they do best and let CME do options and ICE. The ICE does a good job also. So the CBOE decided to do a stupid thing by launching their futures two weeks ahead of the CME futures and announcing them significantly later. Um, it continues to show me that CBOE is not competent enough to run their futures. I would never trade the CBOE future. I would stick to the experts. Um, and without even looking at volumes, I can guarantee you that the volume on the CBOE Bitcoin future is grossly inadequate compared to the volume of the CME future. And now CBOE is once again scrambling to make their futures more relevant than the CME futures when they shouldn't even exist to begin with. Um, so it's good to have competition, but you leave the competition, you know, for later on, or at least you want to be an expert at it. So uh, to me, this is just a way for the CBOE to try and get more liquidity into their contracts uh, because both of these things launched their futures at a peak of Bitcoin. And even they didn't anticipate uh, a 70% correction. And I believe it's going to go even lower. So uh, they're just trying to, you know, adjust it to increase liquidity 
uh, and they're competing with someone that is way more competent in launching futures. That's kind of my opinion on it. I agree. Um, Jimmy, also, this is just to increase volume of activity by letting smaller players in. I, I do know your response on, on regarding trading Bitcoin. Do you think, though, that this could increase the price of Bitcoin? I don't think so, <laughs> but I, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there's more people that are willing to uh, come in on futures instead of the actual underlying asset. Uh, that, that may be true, but I don't know if uh, you know, additional granularity in trading actually makes that happen. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, futures are futures. They're, they're a derivative product, not the real thing. So I, I think more people are interested in the real thing. Interesting. Yeah, I <laughs> sorry. Moving so to the mempool, I didn't have it up. Sorry for that. Um, can you talk about the mempool? Yeah. So uh, fees are increasing quite a bit. It looks like there's uh, there's some uh, there's a significant amount that's uh, going over a hundred satoshi per byte. Um, this is, I, I'm not sure what's going on. It might be transaction spam or something like that. Um, you know, there there's sort of all sorts of gradients. Uh, the nice thing is it, it keeps clearing. And despite people trying to, you know, add uh, add fees uh, or add a lot of transactions that have a significant amount of fees, um, you know, like it, it keeps clearing. So you could probably get it in for one Satoshi per byte if you're willing to wait a few hours. If you need it right away, though, you're going to have to probably compete with all of these transactions in the in these green and yellow bands. So you're probably going to have to do like 50, 60, 70, something like that if you need it in right away. Uh, you generally don't want to get squeezed on any sort of transaction fee. So I, I, I mean, you know, this, the, that's, uh, that's kind of what happens sometimes when, uh, when people are trying to, I, I don't know, it, it does seem strange that there are so many in these bands and they, they keep coming up. You can see that big bump at around, uh, you know, 5.30 or so a.m. And you can, you can see that there, there's a ton of, uh, you know, the green band and the yellow band. Uh, and it doesn't look organic at all because uh, all of these sort of like appear out of nowhere. Um, same, same thing with all of the little spikes is that uh, a lot of people seem to be going into the 100 Satoshi per byte range without really needing to. I mean, like, especially like right around eight o'clock, uh, you know, that big drop, there's a few blocks found, cleared the mempool quite a bit. And then there's people like going up to a hundred. I, I don't, I don't know. It might be a bad fee estimation algorithm, uh, but there, there's definitely something going on and the markets uh, will correct for it eventually. And then especially at like nine o'clock, something, something happened where there's a lot of uh, transactions that got in or a lot of transactions appeared in the mempool that, that were significantly higher. So not sure what's going on. I'm not going to say for sure that it's transaction spam, but it does look like, um, you know, like either there's a bad fee algorithm or there's a lot of desperate people that want to trade right now or something because uh, this is not normal. Thanks, Jimmy. Maybe some uh, NASDAQ people getting in, getting excited with their opening bell, but probably not. Tone, Bcash and Bitcoin. Um, all right, Bitcoin price. I'm trying to move my computer because it's, I, it's actually warm here in Florida. I don't want it to like overheat. And my, uh, like between my battery dying and computer possibly overheating, let's try to get through the price stuff. Um, I'm definitely going to do another video later today. It's going to be, I'm going to have a guest on. We're going to talk about the price of Bitcoin. We're going to talk a lot about volume. It'll be mostly a volume discussion since I don't really talk about volume 
all that much. Um, but um, let me take a look at the price. I have a couple of comments. I'm starting to block people on Twitter, just like I, I stopped putting comments. Allowing comments on our standard videos, I'll still leave comments for when I have guests on. But our normal uh, videos like this and trading Bitcoin comments have been turned off because they're just not productive. And um, I'm about to, I'm starting to block people on Twitter now as well because it's also unproductive and I get way too many notifications. Uh, but uh, uh, but let's get to the charts. Um, all right. Um, also, like again, like I don't want to like complain much, but like people that ask the following question. Uh, I just want to always make it clear, right? Like, where is it? Oh man, um, here. Uh, well, the, the same question was to me, like asking me if I'm still bearish. Guys, I'm not your personal secretary to answer your particular question. I make videos every day. If you want to know if I'm still bearish, turn on YouTube, okay? Like, it, it's amazing how many people ask me uh, what I think, um, where the price of Bitcoin is going to go for them personally. And it's someone with like eight followers on Twitter and it's someone that's like not important. Uh, I mean, this is how, this, I guess this is how people think that I'm gonna like answer them personally every single time. Uh, anyway, enough complaining uh, before my 36% dies. Um, okay, here's the price of Bitcoin, all right? We continue to go up, we continue to break the trend line. This is good. This can lead us into a bull market. I will, uh, and for the last time, as a buy and holder, there is a difference between a short-term trader as a buy and holder. In a bear market, I want to take on short trades. In a bull market, I want to take on long trades. Um, at the moment, there are no, uh, I'm not going to take on any bullish trades at the moment because even if we're going to a bull market, I missed the bottom. So why would I take on a long trade at a point where we're going to pull back. I will wait till the overall trend changes. The, I do not expect the overall trend to change below $12,000. If we go to like 10 or 11,000, and then we pull back to about 8,000, and then we reverse with proper volume in a proper way, I will then potentially go bullish under 12,000. But if we go straight up from here, the only way I go bullish is at a breakout of something significant. Or I will just wait for a weekly nine on the bull side and then call another short play. Now, the play right, I remain bearish. I continue to think that the lows are not in. Can I be wrong? Yes. Okay. This is why you need to make your own trading decisions. Now, here's another interesting one. People seem to be complaining uh, that they, they were, took my advice, which wasn't advice, and they shorted at the bottom, and now they're really, really upset. And for some reason, they're upset at me, uh, even though I didn't actually sell their Bitcoin. They sold it themselves, okay? So there's two things I will tell you. If you finally sold your Bitcoin over here in this vicinity of 6,500 because you decided to listen to some schmuck on YouTube um, and you sold all of your hodl position here and now you're upset here, that's really your problem, not mine. 
okay? I will, there's two ways I can answer this question. One, you need to learn, you need to decide if you're a trader or a whole or a hodler. And in either case, whether you're a trader or a hodler, you need to learn and take responsibility for your own decisions. If you are going to follow some schmuck on YouTube and sell your position when he thinks it's time to sell, my other response to you is, how come you didn't sell at 13,000, 14,000 when I was telling people that we're going to go to 7,000 and you decided to wait till 6,500 to actually do what, what's uh, potentially implied, right? Because you see this giant triangle right here? I was screening short under the 50-day moving average. So this whole area between 13,000 and 14,000, I was already screening that Bitcoin is going to fall to seven and a half thousand and probably lower, but everyone else was bullish. And now you are upset because you decided to, you know, take some schmuck on YouTube advice down here and not up there. So those that happen to sell up there at 13,000, they are still sitting pretty damn good. And they still have lots of options that will only make the money, okay? So, so either way, you want to think about this. Either you shouldn't be listening, or maybe you should have been listening, you know, three months ago. You pick, okay? Either way, unless I executed your trade, you're responsible, not me, or anyone else on YouTube for that matter. All right, so another rent over. Here's my outlook for the price at this point. I remain midterm bearish. Are we short-term bullish? Yes. Would I take on bullish trades as a trader? Probably not. What am I looking for at this point? We have broken yet another level of resistance, but I remain midterm bullish. I will wait for another nine. You see this nine right here that took place the day of April 14th at the price of $8,400. That was a low risk entry to short Bitcoin. Did this trade make you money? The answer is maybe. It depends at where you set your stop loss. It might have made you, you know, enough money to go out to a nice dinner. It sure as hell wasn't going to buy you a Lambo. So what am I waiting for again? I'm waiting for another nine, which will probably take place in four days. Can we go up in four days to 10,000? Yes. The perfect scenario for a low probability trade will be to the downside and shorting. What am I looking for? I'm looking for the price to pull into another death cross between the 128 and the 200. Okay. Oh boy. Um, between, uh, uh, between the 128 and the 200. If we pull in there and we get a nine right there, I would be looking to, to, to imply uh, a low probability short play off the nine if everything works out perfectly. And what am I looking for? I'm looking for it to go into this cross. I was looking for the price to go into this cross before. I'm going to look for it again, but from the upside, after we get here, or if we get here, if we can reverse, I might be, I might flip my mind to me medium turn bullish, or I will expect it to keep going down and make lower lows. Nothing has changed in my outlook to 4,900 yet. When it changes, 
there will be a video and I will let you know. Okay. But right now I am looking for to time another short play in the vicinity of 10,000. Okay. But yet another resistance level has been broken. Uh, I actually want to get to B trash. Uh, I'm not going to go to the lower timeframes on Bitcoin. Uh, I want to talk about B trash for a minute. So let's look at the daily chart. So yesterday, when Jimmy asked, when is a good time to get out of, uh, of some of his B trash and convert it into Bitcoin? Because for some God knows what reason, he still held on to some of his B trash. Hey, 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 um, hey, 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 hey. I got spoiled, okay? I got spoiled. <laughs> So, so, so Jimmy had a prior exit around 24%. And yesterday we were at the top of this eight candle. And I told Jimmy yesterday on this show, hey, tomorrow B-Trash should top. So see if you can get out tomorrow. Now the 12 hour chart, now I keep hitting the 12 month chart. This really needs to say one here. I also suggested that, hey, the 12 hour chart had 72, uh, no, sorry, not 72. 12 plus 12 is 24 plus 12 is 36. Um, had uh, 36 hours, uh, there'll be a top in the next 36 hours. Boom, perfect reversal candle. And the four hour suggested you get out right in this vicinity here. So uh, Jimmy, where did you put your initial uh, limit order sell? And what did you ask me when it didn't fill? And why did it not fill? Okay, so I put it at like 0.16 three no point one six two somewhere around there uh so it was it was right i, I was like regretting it because i think uh it, it hit like right below that and then sank back but then you told me to go to point one six right, right, right here. here jimmy i got it up i got it up uh -huh. so, so the high on this one hour candle was point one six one seven and yours your exit was point one six two uh-huh. That's right. And you missed it by like the smallest of fractions. Uh-huh. And it started to go down in here and you weren't sure what to do. And uh -huh. my suggestion was to reset that stop loss at a price of 1.685. Yeah. And you got out right here on yeah. this eight candle and the next hour it topped. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was kind of uh, kind of crazy, like how it, it, like this is where I, I, I see like Tone as like a magician, because how the hell do you know the exact price and time like that? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I was uh, as telegramming him yesterday and saying, oh, my God, it got out at exactly the right time. Cause right. So like you literally you, you you got out on this eight candle here on the hourly. Uh -huh. Here is the top and B trash on this hourly nine which uh -huh. happened to be the daily nine. And look what happened now. We yeah. went down and look where we bottomed. We held the, the setup trend line. We held the 50 day and now we're starting to bounce off this nine. So those that shorted at a perfect time using this indicator on the hourly yesterday when Jimmy took his exit, uh, those that shorted could have taken their profit at a perfect time right here at 0.155-ish. Uh, right off the nine, right off the setup trend line. We're bouncing a little bit. Um, look, right now, I have no idea which way it's going to go. But if you look at the daily B trash chart, uh, this is clearly a short term top. I am expecting a one to four candle correction. And then you have to reevaluate and then we'll see from there. Um, all right, that's pretty much it on the price. I have my Miami workshop coming up, uh, my Miami trading workshop is uh, gonna take place this Saturday. I'm speaking at a conference uh, before my battery dies. 
Um, and I'm going to talk more about London, Dublin, and Montreal that are going to take place this summer. And Philly will probably take place right after consensus. Uh, so I'll, I'll have like this week, I'm going to uh, figure that out. And uh, this is the conference I'm speaking at tomorrow. The, um, so those that are interested, uh, I'll probably tweet this out later today. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, um, and um, I'm going to stop screen share. All right. That, that's, that's pretty much my end of it. All right. Well, you know what's going on now with P-Trash and oh, P-Cash. Oh, my God. Tony, you're in my head. Um, and Bitcoin when it comes to trading today. Have a great day. You can listen to this later on iTunes. Thanks to the World Crypto Network. Thank you, guys. And everybody have a great day. Jimmy? Well, so I want to I want to promote a couple things. So I do have the in case you weren't here at the beginning of this uh, this video, I have my seminar in New York, May seventeenth and eighteenth. It looks like the Toronto one. I just got some confirmation is going to be uh, May twenty eighth and 29th. Uh, so it'll be Memorial Day here, but it won't be Memorial Day in Canada. Um, and then uh, Denver will be July 9th and 10th. Uh, so I'm going to try to take most of June off, possibly. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, there, there's a possibility that I'm going hey, hey, to go Jimmy, to Sao Paulo. Jimmy, Jimmy yeah. just one piece of friendly advice. I, I do not recommend doing any seminars on holidays, even if it's not a holiday in that country, if it's a holiday in a neighboring country. Uh, I, 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 I did that over... Uh, I tried doing that in Vancouver, but it happened to be a, a holiday in both countries. It was uh, not advisable. Uh, so just, <laughs> just let me know how it goes if you're going to do Memorial Day in Toronto. Uh -huh. um, okay. And people saying, hey, I would have come if it wasn't for the holiday weekend. Um, uh, well, uh, I mean, I, I have a slightly different audience that might want to do it over a holiday just because then they can, um, you know, because they, 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 work at some other job or something. I don't know. Well, I mean, okay. So I'll take that into account. I, I haven't faxed this in yet. So uh, I have to figure, yeah. So girl advice as well. Are you going to wear white pants given that it's Memorial Day? No, I'm, I'm <laughs> jeans and a hat. Jeans and a hat. He'll wear a white hat. He'll wear a white hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I might wear a white hat. Uh, but yeah, black hats coming back on for consensus for obvious reasons. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. And lastly, Tony, you're going to go to the beach and snap some pictures? I honestly don't know. I, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's like everywhere I go, I don't stay long enough. Like, I have the conference tomorrow. I have the conference Thursday. I'm going to speak at some event or meet up on Friday. More details to come. Um, Saturday is my workshop. I want to interview a few people. And the next thing you know, I got to fly back home uh, on Sunday or Monday. I don't even remember now. So I would love to try and get to the beach. But I don't know. I, I got to take I got to start taking better breaks, but we'll see. All right, everybody, you heard it. Have a great day. Definitely think about coming to consensus. It's a high ticket price, but definitely going to be worth it potentially. But Jimmy is speaking. So then it's obviously worth it. Everybody. Well, well don't don't say that. I mean, it, it might not be worth it. Uh, I, I mean, this is what I did last year. I didn't attend anything and I just went to all the parties and that, that was pretty fun. So you might want to do that if you're in New York and don't want to pay for it. So there's Jimmy's advice. Tones is don't teach on Memorial Day. Mine is Jimmy should maybe wear white pants and Jimmy's is party, I think. So <laughs> everybody have a great day. This song is done. Oh. <laughs>